This would be amazing. I love this. This is so good. Um, uh, after time of worship, I, I don't want to be the, the roadblock in the middle of the road to stop us from going from worship and prayer into the Word, but I do have a, a, an announcement about, usually it's, hey, your headlights are on, but there's a Hyundai Palisade with bikes on the back. Your whole car is on. So I don't know if that's you, if, if your vehicle is still running, just to let you know. And I'm preaching for like two hours, so you're running out of gas for sure. <laughs> okay, I'm not really going to preach for two hours, but just, uh, yeah, if that's you, your car is still on. Um, hey, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and go to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 12 is where we are in this series that we're in, Romans chapter 12. As you're turning there, we, we've titled this sermon series, The Normal Christian. Now, now why, why would he call it that? Why would I say the normal Christian? And, and there's really two main reasons why I think the title's important. What, what we're going after in this series as we go through Romans chapter 12, one of them we're going to unpack this morning, it's this one, that there are some people who would think that there are two levels of Christians. There's the, the super Christian and the regular Christian. There's the, the sold-out, all-in, worshiping Jesus, following Bible-believing kind of Christians, the, the Jesus freaks, the, the super-Christian. Then there are others who, who well, I'm kind of like just a minor league Christian. I kind of I just do the, the normal kind of way of life. And, and you see in God's Word, though, there's no such distinction. The, the, the Jesus-following, all-in, worshiping, growing in grace kind of Christian, that's just a normal Christian. I thought of it this way in our context, or do you just have a truck and tools and you don't actually build? You'd be like, uh, I build because that's what I do. Oh, you're one of those, those super builders, those, those phenomenal, out of the park, crazy. No, 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 I'm, I, I'm a builder, a normal builder. That's what builders do. And so that's one of the reasons why we've called this series The Normal Christian. So if you're in sight of what it means to be an obviously normal Christ follower. I mean, that, that, that term Christian, it wasn't made up by, by a, a group of Christians who got together in, the, in the, the, the early church. They didn't say, hey, let's call ourselves this. The name Christian was actually given to them by the world watching in and seeing what they're doing. And they're like, hey, you guys are like little Christs. You, you, you act and look and talk and live like Jesus Christ, but you guys are Christians. You're, you're Jesusites. And so, so for you and me, then what would that mean? What would it look like for maybe your neighbors to look in on how you do life? And they may not have the language to talk about, hey, you're like a Christian, but maybe they, they would describe some things they see in your life. And as they're describing those things, it would be just like they're saying, you remind me of Jesus. That's a normal Christian. How we love people, how we seek justice, how, how we forgive, how we serve, how we face trials, how we spend our money, how we talk, how we do business, how we do relationships. And it's not super complicated. It, it's actually fairly simple, which is why I like the phrase, normal Christians. Like maybe we should be saying to each other every once in a while, hey, j just be normal today. It, it's simple, but here's the key. It's simple, but it's not easy. That's why last week we started in Romans 12, the first two verses, to, to really take our time to unpack that it, it's only by the grace formed day by day into this life of a normal Christian. 
2 Corinthians 3.18 says it this way. It says that we, we behold the glory of the Lord. And as we do that, as we behold the glory of the Lord, as we look into the grace of God, as we treasure and savor who Christ is and the gospel that says that we were lost but now found, as we do that, we are, it says, 2 Corinthians 3.18, being transformed into that same image of Christ, one degree of glory to another. We're becoming little Christs. Day by day degree by degree, becoming these normal Christians. And it's, it's not by striving harder that we do this. It's beholding the glory of God. It's, it's treasuring all that God is, all that he's done through Christ. And in that, we're being changed. Now, you're, you're, if you're here last week, like, yeah, we got that. Why are you repeating it all over again? One, because I think we forget. I think it's so easy to be drawn into legalism, into striving, and depending on your temperament, when you're drawn into that striving, you can either become prideful and judgmental because you're actually doing pretty good at it, and you forget that it's all grace. Or, or, or you, can, you can not be hitting the mark, struggling, forgetting it's all grace, and be driven to shame and despair. So, so as we jump into these next few verses this morning... And we begin to see, hey, what does a normal Christian look like? What, what is going on in a Christ follower's life? Here's what we're talking about this morning, and, it, and it's crazy. If, if you move past the, I grew up in church and I've heard this before kind of stance. If, if you get rid of all the churchy language and you understand the reality of what these verses are saying about you, if you're a Christ follower, this should blow you away. As a Christian, what we're going to see this morning is this. You are supernaturally empowered by this. I mean, I've been thinking about this all week. I'm like, are, are you for real? That, that, that because of God's grace, you are supernaturally gifted, empowered by the Spirit of God. Like, you have supernatural power. And I think we can become so ho-hum and father. And he says to his disciples, it's better that I go because I'm sending you my Spirit so it's no longer... I mean, if, if you grasp this, if you, if you savor this, if you treasure this, if you know that you have the Spirit of God in you to do supernatural things that you wouldn't know, Christian, not, not a super Christian, not a second tier Christian, but the normal Christian, supernaturally empowered for an eternal purpose. All right, before we start talking about some of these gifts you see here in these verses, especially verses 6 to 8, notice where Paul starts in Romans 12, verse 3. He says this in verse 3, For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think more highly, do not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So Paul finishes the first two verses saying, it's grace, it's grace, it's grace. He says, hey, I'm about to tell you about the supernatural ability that you've been given in the Spirit, but let me start here first. It's grace, called by grace. This is what it is. Hey, listen, the first step in here, before we even get to how you use these gifts, how you serve God, you need to start here. The normal Christian life is, I've been saved by grace. This is the first step. If you miss this first step, none of the other stuff we talk about matters. You see, grace is what separates the normal Christian way of life from every other religion or philosophy of life. You see, Jesus does not come along and say, hey, if you do this, Hey, if you're baptized, if you're confirmed, if you take communion, if you serve the poor, if you go to church, if God is being perfect and holy, and we'll never do that. God accepts nothing but holiness. So Jesus says, hey, listen, I haven't come to show you how to work your way to God. I've come as God to find you, to save you. 
Not by what you do. Jesus says, by what I've done to die in your place, to pay the penalty for the sin you've committed against a holy God. And then he, he raises from the death, to, from the dead. Why? To conquer sin and death. And he says, I'm saving you by grace. And so what's the first step then? The first step is you respond to that grace. You receive that gift. It begins with saying, to, to recognize, man, I, I see my sin. I see my need of this grace. And I see that God is so loving that I'm not too far away from his grace. And so in a simple way, I mean, even like here right now, if you're here this morning, like, you know, I've never made that first step. I've been coming to church. I've been checking this out. I've been watching online, but I've never really jumped in in that way. And it's as simple as saying, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need you as my Savior. I need your grace. It's saying, Jesus, I believe who you say you are, that you are God the Son, that you died in my place for my sin. You rose again to conquer sin and death and Satan and myself. And so by grace, hey, the first step is by grace. You say, Jesus, I'm all yours. That's the first step. Now, for, for, for those of you who are here and you're already a Christ follower, a Jesus follower, for those who even just now, you said, you know what, I'm making that step this morning. The rest of this is for you. But before we jump into being used now by God through these grace gifts, we need to understand what grace does as we use the gifts of grace. Look again at verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I love that Paul starts there. You want to talk about a guy supernaturally gifted. People would touch his handkerchief and be healed. All right, and he's saying, hey, by grace, by gra I'm, I'm only saying this by grace, guys. And he says this, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but think with sober judgment. So, so before we jump into being used by God, what does grace do? Grace humbles us. And Paul's a renewing of your minds, and he lays out what does a renewed mind look like? It's a, a mind that's focused on treasuring the glory of the grace of God. It's a humble mind. When we keep our hearts there, when we're remembering the gospel, remembering grace, we don't think too highly of ourselves. Instead, what's it say? We have sober judgment. That's a pretty good word picture there, sober judgment. Think about somebody who's not sober and how they think. Their judgment. Right? There, there's a reason why YouTube videos become hilarious right after someone says, hey, hold my beer. Right? Those people are not thinking with sober judgment. Unsober judgment is so far off, right? Right? You, you think you can do what a sober mind would say, oh, wait, wait, you're not that athletic. You, you're not that agile. You're not that smart. You're not that important. The gospel has this way of sobering us up to, to do what? To think clearly about who we actually are. And so as you take the time, to reflect on how God saved you, you can see this, that, that God designed it in a way that's it's, it's designed to and helplessly lost in our sin, that God had to step in to rescue us. And it's why we say this a lot, that it's, it's the gospel is good news, not good advice. Jesus does not see you drowning in your sin and start to give you swimming lessons for how to swim better. Instead, he says, no, I'm, I'm stepping in. I'm living the life you should have lived. I'm dying the death that you should have died. And I'm resurrecting to give you new life. And then, and then after that, he gives us his spirit. Because he knew this. He knew this, not just being saved, but that he knew that we'd be, we'd be helpless in living out the normal Christian life he saved us to. 
So we walk this out. And, and rather than, than pridefully looking at how well we're knocking out of the park, rather than comparing ourselves to other people, rather than needing to draw attention to ourselves and our accomplishments, a sober-minded, gospel, sober-minded person says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ who's in me. I don't have the power to do any of this. It's all Jesus. From start to finish, it's all Jesus. It's that kind of gospel attitude where we would say, I was so messed up that Jesus had to die for me. And as dependent as I was on his grace to start this journey, I need just as much grace to keep living it day by day, one degree of glory to the next. Pride's so common, but when we see the gospel, pride makes absolutely no sense to a normal Christian. I mean, it's Father's Day today, so I'm thinking of that imagery of a, of a little child in, a, in, in their father's arms. And, and that child does not rest on their strength. They, a child doesn't say, look how strong I am. Look how brilliant I am to be here in my dad's arms. No, no, humbly. Humbly, we boast in the strength of our father's arms. We boast in the care of our father's love. The gospel deals with our pride. Here's the thing that's amazing, though. The gospel doesn't just take care of boasting pride. It also gives sober judgment, clear thinking, when, when we're struggling with what you call low pride. That, that pride that says, I'm worthless. I have nothing to offer. The gospel says, listen, God saved you, and he put his spirit in you. He gave you a supernatural gift for a unique role in his kingdom. I love that. It's why I love saying that the, the, the ground at the cross is level. You, you come to the cross and the prideful person is dropped to their knees. And the one broken in shame, their head is lifted. And Paul says in verse 3, we have this sober judgment. Why? Because of the measure of faith that God has assigned. That word measure there, it could be translated as, as a standard measurement. The, the standard measurement of God, set by God, is faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. So, so your identity as a Christ follower comes from a, a very different place, a very different source than achievement or your image or what others think about you. So if you're puffed up in pride, or if you find yourself self full of self-loathing and shame, you haven't embraced the gospel, God's standard of measurement to a deep soul level. Let me encourage you as a Christ follower, you, you have an access to this, this unique kind of identity and self-image that nobody else does. That you are such a desperate sinner, Jesus had to die to save you, and you are so loved by God that Jesus died to save you. All through faith. All through faith. He's given you his righteousness and he's given you his spirit in you. So, so by faith, through the work of Christ, you are supernaturally empowered for an eternal purpose. We see it in verses 4 and following. Look at verse 4. For as in one body we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Supernaturally empowered. 
gifts given according to God's grace. And then Paul goes on to list them in the verses that follow. Now you have to understand something, that that list isn't exhaustive. You'll see different lists in Scripture, whether it's in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 and 14, in Ephesians 4, in, in 1 Peter chapter 4, you see other lists. No list is exactly the same. Spiritual gifts, I, I don't think, are a, are a catalog where you go, okay, there they all are. Now I choose from those and see what, no, no, I think spiritual gifts are just this. It is a supernatural gift that God gives to the church to do the mission he's called us to. And then in Scripture, you see this, hey, here are some examples of some of these gifts. So I would say it this way, for us as Harvest Muskoka, I believe that God in his providence looks at our church in our pursuit of the mission, and he says, hey, y'all need this. If you want to accomplish this mission, you're going to need these gifts. And sometimes, sometimes it might be a gift for a season. Sometimes it's a permanent gift that he gives you because he says, this is the gift you're going to bring to this body for the mission I've called you to. Now, now I love it in these verses because he talks about us being this body. So, so to, when I say supernaturally gifted and you think superhero, it's not that. It's not this one lone superhero that swoops in for the mission and save the day. No, no, it's not working like that. It's this body working together. I mean, think about how a body works. If your stomach is like, I need some food and I need it now, your stomach can really do nothing about that. Your stomach is across the floor right to the, to the fridge. No, you can't do that, right? So it tells your brain. And your brain says to your feet, hey, hey, take a walk to the kitchen. And then your, your hands begin to grab and, and make or open up. And, and, and then your mouth begins to chew and you swallow. And your needs met. So, so in the church, if you consider this, that we're all one body but different parts, maybe you're the stomach of the church and you see needs, right? Maybe you're the feet and you're the one who helps us move. Maybe you're the hands. Maybe you're the mouth. The point is this, all these gifts being used together as a unified body. That the power of the gospel and the grace of, it's not in you sitting at home by yourself, just me and Jesus. No, no, it, it depends on this, God knitting us together to accomplish his mission together. We need each other. We need each other. If you aren't connected to the body, you're missing out on the power. Like, why isn't he working on my marriage? Why isn't he doing something in my kids' lives? And I believe sometimes God's saying, because you're disconnected. You're cut off from where the Spirit works. A body works together. A disconnected body part. If, if we're walking out of here and you see a foot in the middle of the parking lot, that's kind of weird, it's gross, and it's, it's not doing anything. But connected, serving together, God, God's intentionally set us up. The Christian life, the normal Christian life, God says, this is how I made it. We need each other. 1 Peter 5.8 says that Satan prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour. Listen, I grew up watching enough National Geographic specials to know this. The lion always, right, who's he go after? It's that wildebeest that's wandered off on its own. Separated from the herd, that's the one the lion gets every single time. We need each other. Every single one of us here this morning, whether you're here or online, you have burdens that you carry, and none of us are intended to carry them alone. We have a mission set before us that can't be done without the whole body. We need each other. We're weak. 
we're weak without each other. I mean, that, that's the picture of a body. I mean, I've experienced it. Maybe you have too when, when people come alongside you and, and, and supernaturally you feel the, the, the body coming alongside to, to move you along. I've seen it happen in our church where people using their gifts together accomplish what, what we could never do alone. God knitting us together for his mission. I'm thinking, man, what example could I give? And I could maybe think of an example from years past, but I'm telling you what, I want to give you an example right from this morning. As someone came up and they shared their heart of a struggle they're in, wife struggling with sickness, and you know what they said? They said, man, if it wasn't for the group of guys praying for me. If it wasn't for the, the guy who said, yeah, but hey, your hope is in Christ. That's the body. It's, it's the woman that I was talking to just recently in a difficult situation. A broken, abusive marriage, finally being rescued from it. And, 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 and when you step back and see all that's gone on in this situation, I mean, I'm calling to respond to a prayer request and in the time talking going, oh, wait, already connected with biblical soul care, getting counseling. People have been calling and encouraging and coming alongside. A bunch of uh, uh, people are already kind of come and done a bunch of practical work. Financial help was already given because people with the gifts of giving. Financial help's already been there. Kids already being walked with. That can't be done by one person. We need each other. The normal Christian is not isolated. The normal Christian is connected. Connected for care and connected for mission. And we do this. Why do we do this? We do this because we're humble enough to know how desperate we are for God and each other. It's pride that says, I don't think I need the church. I think I got this on my own. And it's humility that says, I want to join in together to see God do something that he could not do with just me alone. So, so what are the gifts then that Paul lays out for us quickly? Look at verse 6. It says, if prophecy... In, in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So here's this list. This list of these, these supernatural gifts. Are you going to notice a lot of these, there's a unique way in which God says in, in certain people's lives, I'm going to supernaturally empower that in them. So, so you've got prophecy. Okay, what is that? It's a word that's defined in a lot of different ways in Scripture. There, there's the prophecy of foretelling. So, so Old Testament prophets saying, this is what's coming in the future. There, there's that right out with the apostles. We have no more new Scripture being written. But, but what this gift is, this gift of prophecy, where you're saying, hey, if you have this gift, use this. It's declaring the truth of God. I don't want it just to be words, God. Would you, would you gift me, if you would, by your grace, with a prophetic gifting that I could speak in a way that, that you would take these words, words from your, from your word, and you would impact hearts because I can't touch a heart. And so on those Sundays where, where you, another way the word prophecy is used for us today is that there are times when the Lord prompts you to, to share with somebody a, a word of encouragement or, or exhortation. Maybe it's a warning. You just feel this pressing of the Lord on your heart. Man, I'm supposed to warn that person of this. Or maybe it's an encouragement or a, a promise of God. And, and we step into this gifting with a ton of humility. None of us has the authority to step in and say, hey, I got a word from God for you. Right, what's it say here in, in verse 6? It's in proportion to your faith. Right, you're doing this according to faith. This is not the word of God. This is not of the weight of Scripture. This is, I feel like God's pressing on me to share this with you. I'd say this, I'm so thankful for the people in my life who have used this gift well. 
There have been times in my life, there have been times in the ministry of our church where, where a humble word came from somebody who the Spirit of God was pressing in on them. And they're like, I, I, I don't know why God's pressing me on this. I don't, I don't know. But I just think God is, is putting this on my heart for you or putting this on my heart for the church. And time and time again, exactly what was needed. Another gift here says the gift of service. And this is somebody who, who sees practical needs and just jumps in and serves with joy. Oftentimes, the person who has a gift of service, they're serving in ways that not a lot of people even see. The, the word used here, it's the, it's the word where we get our word deacon from. The, those in church who serve faithfully and joyfully. They, they serve in things like benevolence and care and finances and organizational structure. And they serve in these ways that fuel the mission. And we're blessed by those who, who see needs and step in to those needs. There's a gift of teaching. It's interesting, but this gift here, gift of teaching, it appears on more lists in Scripture than any, other, any of the other gifts. Chuck Swindoll says this, if we take away the gift of teaching from the church, the church is open game for wolves and false teachers. Such an important gift. People have that gift to take God's word and, and make it clear, make it understood. And some of you, you have that gift with kids, just in a unique way. You have a way of experience in big groups, some of you small groups. Some of you have this gift just one-on-one. -on -one. You have a way of explaining God's word where people get it. And, and where prophecy challenges the heart and the will, teaching instructs and informs the mind. The gift of teaching. It's a gift of exhorting. It could be encouragement. It could be challenge. It could be counseling. Often this gift of exhorting, it's, it's done over a cup of coffee. It's done when you're on a walk. It's done sitting in your living room or your kitchen with somebody. And you have this supernatural ability to take God's word and make it so practical for where people live. You have another gift here, the gift of giving. And I think of the gift of giving. This isn't just the wealthy person doing the big giving. This is those who see a need know that God's calling them to help fill that need. And so with joy and with generosity, they quietly take care of the need. How do you know it's supernatural? You know it's supernatural when there's just joy about it. You know it's supernatural because it seems like when you give, the supply you give is exactly when never is in want. It's, it's you just have this, man, God just keeps providing for me and I just keep, keep giving it away. Gift of giving is that person who uses your giving in a supernatural way not just the practical need being met, but you see that deep, eternal soul need being met in your giving. There's a gift of leading here. Those who lead. Those who guide people towards these God-given goals. Those who motivate and move the church to action to accomplish the mission God's called us to. The gift of leading. There's a gift of mercy here. You, give, you have this mercy that, that just, just cheerfully showing compassion, showing kindness. You, you just love to come alongside those. The gift of mercy is that person who has the wisdom of knowing when to speak and when to be quiet. For the gifts that are given by God's grace, how much it's lived out in your life. To be put on, get this one, line up, maybe you've got those. It's the Spirit of God. That you would show up at church not just with the question of, hey, God, what do you have for me today? But you show up saying, God, what role do you have for me today? Conversation, God, what do you desperately, Jesus, with us if we stepped out that way every day? How many more stories would we be able to this gift? We need to step out in this. How do I know what, notice a few things in this. How do I know what, notice a few things that, 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 what's my gift? 
And I've used this before. I've heard this used by others. I didn't make it up. And hopefully it's where you're gifted by the Spirit. You're looking for, where are my abilities? Things that I do well. Where are my passions? Things that I just love. So think, what's, what are some abilities I've got? What, what am I just good at? Maybe you go through that whole list in Romans there and you're like, man, that one stood out. Like I just, that's just what, I mean, I just, that's something I can just do. I, I, I just kind of do that. Maybe God's gifted me with an ability there. Then you ask, well, what am I? And here's the thing. You don't really need the spiritual gift of discernment or wisdom to be able to find things in our church that are problems. So you're like, man, that's just not working as well as it could. That's why you're noticing it. Maybe when you see urgent needs that, that need to be met, maybe that's God saying, I'm calling you to that. I, I brought that to your attention. I've used this illustration before. There are some who walk into a room and you've just got a nose for dirty diapers. And you're like, does no one else smell that dirty diaper? To change it. And talks a lot about it. Eventually gets frustrated and checks out. But a servant sees the problem and says, this must be why Jesus brought me here. How and lastly, where have you seen God move? God move. Where have people affirmed this? I, I was talking to a guy a while ago and we're trying to figure out what his gift was. And he just starts talking about how much he loves to tell people about Jesus. And he's telling Jesus and he's like, I don't even know who you are. Yeah, I know, but I just feel like I need to talk to you about it. Where people are saying, yeah, just how he talks to people. He's just going to explain the gospel in a way where they respond. Maybe that's God saying, I'm affirming this. Notice through these verses how much action there is. Then use it. A normal Christian, maybe things line up, maybe that's where it is, and start to move and see. The normal Christian moves, which I believe are the days ahead of us. We're, we're more than seeing Jesus at work through you. So Harvest, let's do the work. Let's start what we could do as we show up to, in Huntsville the next week after that, back here for the time we're in Huntsville because we have the building there. There is a kids'